0: Hi, I'm Robert. Welcome to the 21 News Podcast. Joining me today is Brad Droy. He's the president and CEO of TEA Incorporated, and he's the man who came up with a plan that saved Livingston, Louisiana. At 5 a.m. on September 28th, 1982 in Livingston, a train derailed near the center of the town of approximately 2,000 people, 43 cars derailed and 34 contained hazardous materials, many breached, burned and exploded, spewing toxic vapors all over the town. Uh, Mr. Uh, Droy, can you explain to us uh, what your role was in uh, this uh, derailment and how you helped the town?
1: Sure. Um, yes. Uh, thank you, Rob, for the invitation here today. And I, uh, uh, after seeing what's happened in East Palestine, you know, it just it, it just really made me aware of how common uh, and how related this, this is to the city of Livingston, both being small towns and Rural uh, areas and uh, or semi rural rural areas, and anyway, with uh, uh, in addition, they had the the vinyl chloride and the ignition of the vinyl chloride tanks and explosions and everything else and the evacuation. So I mean, it was very very similar. So this happened, as you said, in 1982 with Livingston, and and uh, we were all aware of being from the, in the environmental uh, remediation industry. You know, my background I'm uh, a uh, doctoral level toxicologist. Uh, I started uh, TEA along with my uh, uh, partner, uh, Frank Manali, in 1996. And we immediately, our first job was with chlorinated solvents. And around uh, uh, 2002 or so, NASA approached us about a product that they had uh, uh, developed and patented called emulsified zero-valent iron, EZVI, and We uh, uh, were allowed then to work with them, and uh, I developed a a marketing agreement, license agreement with with NASA, and we started manufacturing this material. Uh, Fast forward a little bit to um, the Livingston situation, and around 2013 or so, 2012, 2013, I uh, became aware of the situation in Livingston. They They had implemented a remedial technology that was a bit archaic. And it was pumping and treating the groundwater, and it wasn't being effective. Uh, and they were running out of uh, of, of cash. Uh, they had set up a, a, a intergovernmental commission comprised of the railroad, uh, the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality, as well as the city of Livingston, Louisiana, and was led by Mayor Daryl Jones. And uh, anyway, so uh, I got, had an opportunity and presented a. A proposal to them uh, to clean up that site to allow them then to uh, keep some of their uh, money or that uh, was in their their, their fund. And uh, long story short, we were able to close the site in a couple of years. Um, we were the, the site was issued a, a no further action at this time letter from Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality, Mister Tommy Duran, and um, uh, the rest is history. So that's how i became involved with it i my headquarters were in Baton Rouge louisiana so it was fairly close by but that particular uh situation with livingston uh that in 1982 that really put the louisiana department of environmental quality on the map and it was a huge issue for the for the state and uh, the environmental disaster and we were able to go in there not just using that one material but some combination technologies as well with uh, bio augmenting with bacterial cultures and using some other carbon substrates. We were able to uh, clean the site up and then we couple that with our understanding of toxicology uh, to ensure that uh, the human health and the environment will be protected and we were able to be successful.
0: So for the people of East Palestine, cause you came in then, uh, you know, decades after the derailment and were able to clean it up in a few years, um, so, if you had been able to, the technology would have been there, and you would have been able to help sooner. Do you think the the timetable on this could have been
1: shorter? I think so. Uh, it's always important to. Uh, there's two things. One is, uh, you know, promptly addressing the problem if you can. You know, right now they're just finishing up the emergency response actions there, right? And the, mm-hmm. and, and and maybe uh, uh, you know, very clear to dispose of some contaminated soils and such, but you know, what the concern is, is long-term is in getting into the the uh, groundwater supplies and, and the surface water bodies, uh, the adjacent surface water bodies. So yeah, I think to be very, to, to respond quickly is important, but also then to identify the source areas and remediate the source areas. So once you can cut the head off the snake, if you will, uh, that makes the, the long-term uh, exposures and risks and and long term uh, uh you know just exposure from a financial perspective it, it really is it's money well spent up front
0: and do I know with your cleanup uh in Louisiana it involved use of vegetable oil uh, being injected into the ground can you tell us a little bit about how that helped
1: yes uh so we use that as a polishing agent really and and also for areas that are uh, non-source areas. There's a uh, there's a, a good number of, of, of effective remedial uh, technologies, materials out there uh, that can be injected. In what we call in situ or in place. Uh, and so, what these uh, vegetable oil, for instance, has has been commonly used just to add carbon to the subsurface environment. Because what's happening is right right when the when the um, uh, derailment occurred and the chemicals spilled into the ground, that initiated a sequence of events where there, there are many naturally occurring microorganisms out there that get stimulated. And sometimes they're very dormant until they get the right food to eat. So what we try to do is understand what's called the the biogeochemistry, which is the, a fancy word for how the uh, the bacteria and the, the the natural environment, like iron and uh, uh, sulfates, and some of these materials, these ions that are out there, how they interact with one another. So, what we try to do then is understand the site, and then develop the proper uh, amendments to deliver uh, uh, what, where, and how often, and then also therefore to monitor the effectiveness of, of the uh, injections over time. So you have to understand and know what to monitor for uh, uh, to therefore be in, in uh, compliance with, with what the, in this case, the state of Ohio and US EPA would require uh, to, to be in compliance.
0: Based on your experience of having done this, what uh, does East Palestine face in a timetable wise?
1: Years, years, years. Um, you know, it's something that's not going to get cleaned up in a week or months. Uh, I think that some of the um, the emergency response actions that I, and, and I'll tell you, I have not um, read any specific uh, accounts of what what's being done other than what i hear on the news that there's there's uh soils being excavated there's uh uh rail cars being ignited and you know air being monitored um you know those sorts of things um i know that there's some there's some uh companies involved that are that are uh, uh you know have a lot of manpower to do those sorts of things and experience so so i would think that a lot of what's been done out there has been uh, hopefully been, been pretty effective uh, in, in reducing the, uh, the short-term risks. Um, and so what we have to be concerned about um, or, or just mindful is uh, to, to ensure that the drinking water supplies are, are, are solid and, and safe, uh, that the, the rivers and streams are safe, and, uh, that, uh, and that the air is, uh, you know, if there's, if there's some particulates out there, you know to be 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 mindful of the particulates and what's in those what are in those particulates uh and to ensure that you're monitoring for the the right types of constituents of concern
0: and i know that they Norfolk Southern was just ordered to start testing for the dioxins after the vinyl chloride burn. Um, you guys also had vinyl chloride that burned in Louisiana. Um, did you find any residuals or toxins after that? Or
1: No, but by the time we got involved in that particular uh, site, uh, it was, it was 30 years after the event. Um, and it was really just mop, mop up duty at that point. But, uh, dioxins are, uh, they, they can be a um, contaminant of, you know, incomplete combustion. Um, I think it's a good idea to, to, to check uh, all the boxes, you know. And the other thing is, <clears throat> you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, population, and, and we can all understand this, that, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be concerned if this happened in our backyard, right? And, and uh, you know, you have children, you got schools, um, community. Um, let's let's check all the boxes. Just lay them out there. You know, regardless if uh, some some scientists may think, well, it's ridiculous or something to test for something. Well, let's let's really understand it uh, uh, before we rule things out at this point. I would I would uh, uh, recommend.
0: And I, I know that they are they're testing for the chemicals that were on the train, but they they should expand then beyond because the compounds that would have been created from the burn.
1: Yeah. Also, there there can be compounds uh, beginning to be formed uh, due to just due to natural breakdown and biodegradation in the subsurface as well. Okay. So, you know, getting a list of the the original constituents concern and then understanding the breakdown pathways. um, What I'm talking about here is really the exposure pathway dynamics at the site. Right. So you have air, you got you got soils, you got water. Uh, and then the secondary potential sources would be ingestion of, you know, wildlife or fish and things of that nature. Right. And mm-hmm. and then you also have to look at the ecological risks as well as the human health risks. And, that, and those uh, those algorithms that you use, those the, how you compute and estimate risk. I mean, you know, zero risk is 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 really not possible. Right. And. So, risk assessment is a probability science, and it takes um, you know a trained eye to um, evaluate properly those risks, not and without being really overcompensating uh, or over overly protective. It has to be within a, a reasonable uh, set of guidelines and limits, and that. The state regulations. Let me let me tell you. You know, I, I know. Uh, right now, people may not be trusting government so much, uh, uh, just coming out of a pandemic. But there there have been some very uh, protective regulations that have been on the books for decades. And uh, if if those, uh, or if we're in compliance with those, it's it's highly likely that people are not going to be severely or, or substantially impacted uh, from from these contaminants that have been identified. So but there can be sensitive subpopulations and these these uh, risk assessment guidelines do take that those situations into consideration like the elderly, like small children or uh, immunocompromised people. Uh, but there, there, are, there can be exceptions. Um, so at this point I would I would suggest that we don't rule anything out. Um, that we, we take a step back, catch our breath, and go forward with a, a, a reasonable remediation plan that's, that's based in solid science and engineering.
0: And in a derailment in the size and nature of East Palestine, what would that encompass as far as, you know, what would you suggest that, you know, is, is done specifically? You, you said, you know, uh, the risk assessment is mandatory, you would say?
1: Yeah, a risk assessment uh, can can be done now and later, and during the uh, the process, during the time that remediation is implemented and being monitored. So the risks the risks are going to change over time. You want to try and 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 get the most effective uh, use of your resources, right? Applied at the earliest time point as as you can. So I would say to uh, do some extensive testing but also have some, uh, if you can, access and use some high-resolution technologies that can pinpoint any remaining uh, source areas, remediate those source areas, and then set up a proper monitoring system to ensure that the public's drinking water supply is not going to be uh, severely impacted or impacted at all from this. I think it can be designed as such.
0: And with the creeks and the uh, runoffs that that do lead to the Ohio River, um, what would be the furthest reach that this could be tested? It, yeah, it.
1: Uh, I, I would just be guessing at this point. I would have to look at the data. You have to understand the stream hydraulics and uh, and also the hydrogeology of the site. Uh, you know, what direction does the groundwater flow? Does it interact with the the streams and, and, uh, you know, there's springs is the, uh, you know, so there's a variety of components, uh, that, that factor into this modeling, if you were, if you will, of the, uh, of the contaminant fate and transport. Okay. So it also, it's a function of the physical chemical characteristics of the chemicals themselves. All right. Do they adsorb to the sediments, uh, or are they more water soluble? Okay. Um, so, so there's many factors that you have to understand about the chemistry uh, as well that would factor into that, that type of modeling and, and uh, verification sampling.
0: And, and, and we do know that some of the chemicals that were released here are heavier than water. Uh, what is the concern of that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Um, chlorinated solvents, uh, for the most part, are, are have specific gravities greater than one. Water is 1.0. Technically, and uh, and so if you have a a, a source material that's heavier than uh, has a specific gravity greater than one, if it gets into the subsurface environment, it will then quote unquote sink and find its way down downward into the aquifer. Once it continues that trek, uh, the longer you wait for it to to do that, the more difficult it becomes to remediate.
0: So, with your background in, in your your company works in remediation, toxicology, and risk
1: assessment, correct? That's correct. And so, and, yeah, an expert witness work as well.
0: Based on what you've seen and read on the East Palestine situation, um, step by step, what uh, in the timetable? How fast do we need to react to this? And what would you suggest? You know, I mean, we are in the remediation phase that we've entered into, um, so. What, what should we be doing in this phase immediately uh what should we be testing for immediately and and uh, the risk assessment um I have not heard that we're doing that I don't know maybe is going on but if so what what do we need to do with the risk assessment and what the timetable should that be
1: well it might take me about a week to answer your question there <laughs> <laughs> you know it's um it's it's a great question uh really what you what one would do at a stage like this is develop Very clear what we call data quality objectives, all right, and our DQOs. And data quality objectives is a series of questions that you want answered, and then you back up that with okay, what do we need to do to answer those questions specifically? And in this case, we're talking about the type of samples, the number of samples, you know, what type of statistical power do you want, uh, do you need, and scientific. uh, clarity and validity and accuracy and precision. Um, the, uh, identifying the, all the constituents of concern, all of the biogeochemical parameters, uh, collecting information on the hydrogeology of the site, uh, the surface uh, topography, um, the exposure pathway dynamics, and that all feeds into a risk assessment. So, so initially, and I, and, I'm, and I pray that this was is already being done at this point, is to very clearly identify your data quality objectives and design a risk-based remediation program that's going to be protective of human health and the environment, as well as compatible with all the US EPA and state of Ohio guidelines.
0: In the case of uh, Livingston, um, after this happened, you came in after the third decade, and what was the time frame? that you started doing your remediation work and that you saw results and what timetable until it closed and how's the town doing today?
1: Yes. uh, Thank you for that uh, question. Um, Yeah, we actually got in um, and and after getting approved, I mean, we were going to spend a good amount of money. I mean, it was, you know, not just a couple of hundred thousand. It was a lot more than that. Uh, But, but it was much less than what they had available, and their their coffers were running out of money, and uh, they were going to run out in about five years. So we we got in there very quickly, got aggressive. Um, I knew some uh, some individuals down at the Louisiana DEQ. I've always had uh, great respect for them, and they had respect for us as well, as we worked on many sites over in the past together. And so we got our uh, approval plan or our plan approved our remediation plan approved and uh, we implemented it and I would say that in about six months we were we have cleaned the site up in the last year or so it took just to jump through all and check all the hoops, you know the boxes and jump through all the hoops uh, with uh, the regulatory requirements from numbers of uh, quarters of monitoring that you needed to do and that sort of thing so we'd really cleaned the site up within six months.
0: And with your technology, was this something that you could come here and help clean up in East Palestine, if asked?
1: If it, if it was the the best uh, technology, you know what we've done uh, through the years. I've I've worked for a number of chlorinated solvent and and petroleum hydrocarbon clients and chemical manufacturers, uh, and so what we would do is we would vet the uh, the, the you know the the universe of remediation products that are out there and uh, you know, we would we would select the, the right product or products combinations um, and uh, implement them as quickly as possible. But I think I'd mentioned being able to find that surgical precision on, especially on source areas is, is very, is paramount here and time is of the essence, I believe too. I, I, w- I would not wait around uh, and uh, I would push push these things very aggressively. I think that I think the community would appreciate that. I think that in the long run, the the the, uh, the railroad would appreciate that as well, as well as the EPA and the, and the Ohio regulators as, as well. So I think that it's just a win win all the way around. It was it was that way with Livingston. Um, you know, it was like we were you know almost saying kumbaya at the end of the day, you know, it was everyone got got along well because it worked and uh, you just have it doesn't take a lot of people it takes the right people to know what they're doing uh, at the right time in the right place
0: and how is the town doing today?
1: Oh Livingston oh yeah good <laughs> I forgot today it's it's uh you know the mayor has passed away uh, unfortunately he's a great guy you know he was the fire chief uh, on the day of the derailment uh, and then he became mayor. And really, this this defined his entire life. And I was just, I was very glad to see that they were able to get this closure before he passed away. Uh, the town is uh, I, I go by there every now and then when I'm driving over to Baton Rouge, and and uh, they're doing well. I think the site uh, is a park right now, uh, so it's just a green space in the middle of the city. The city was able to use the remaining. Several million dollars, I believe, to um, use for their infrastructure. Um, so uh, it, it turned out to be a great story. You know, no one got killed. Uh, they they did set up medical surveillance uh, there and did medical surveillance of the population for years and years and years. In fact, when some of my meetings were at the old medical surveillance building, uh, right across the street from the from the uh, derailment area. If you get a chance, you could look it up and, and Google it. They still have a video online that uh, that shows the explosions and and uh, Mayor Mayor Jones is now on there from when he was the fire chief, and it's, it's quite it's quite uh, impressive. You said he
0: was instrumental in getting the everything turned around and and everything headed in the right direction. How so? Uh,
1: you are talking about the mayor? Yeah, the mayor. Oh yeah, the mayor you know, he, he, it, it took some uh, guts on his part, uh, part, you know, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of rolled the dice if you will. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess he believed what I had to say and, and I, I'm very, I'll always be thankful to him, uh, for trusting me in that, in my firm, um, uh, in, in taking this to, uh, conclusion. And, uh, so anyway, he, it, it, it took some, you know, he, he was the man in charge of the what's called the uh, Livingston Intergovernmental Commission. Uh, so so he had the stroke, even though it was a a, a group uh, decision. And then he has a, a commission, Livingston Intergovernmental Commission is comprised of local people as well as DEQ people and whatnot. And, um, you know, they had to vote on it. But he he had a lot of influence to make that push the decision in, in the, in the direction that we ended up going.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add for the people of East Palestine?
1: No, I'd love, I'd love to get involved, uh, in, in some capacity. Um, and, uh, it's something that, uh, uh, is, is fixable. And, um, you know, I, I would, uh, I would tell them to, to hang in there. I know that they're they're tough folks and uh uh but you know there, there's a lot of excellent remedial technologies out there that can be used to to clean this site up.
0: I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you.